At 28, Dan McQueen was leading a healthy, active life. Then an optometrist appointment to identify the cause of his persistent headaches turned into an emergency brain surgery. Complications from the surgery led to a brain hemorrhage and a coma that lasted for four weeks. Dan had to relearn everything he once knew, how to walk, how to talk, and even how to smile. He was well on the way to recovery and had just returned to work part-time when 13 months later there was another shock. What he found out along the way to recovery might surprise you. There is nothing like a brain injury to refocus the mind. You are not going to want to miss Dan's story. Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Never ever give up hope. With me today, I have Dan McQueen, and as you heard in the entry, intro, he is going to have a really interesting, incredible story to share. But also, he is going to motivate us, and that's what's always exciting about my guests, because they never, ever gave up hope, no matter what type of calamity or trauma they were going through. Dan is the survivor of two emergency brain surgeries. He had to relearn how to walk, talk, and smile again. He strives to be better than yesterday. He passes along action-oriented hacks to help you and your team thrive. Welcome, Dan. Hi, Carol. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So now, tell us your story, Dan. Well, that lovely intro did, did me justice, but uh, let's go back to 2014 if we can. Absolutely. In jolly old London, England. I'm working in tech, living my best life, 28-year-old guy, big nights out, spending my paycheck in a, in a weekend of fun, <laughs> chaos, being broken, eating beans on toast the rest of the month. It was a wild time. It was a fun time. It was the, the best and the worst of times. I started having these headaches, Carol, and the headaches would get worse over uh. a few weeks. I was taking painkillers like candy for them, but I was pounding. I went to A&E, which is accident emergency in the UK. They thought it was vertigo, and they sent me home. But I found myself in the tube that day, going to Notting Hill. The headaches were so bad, so, so horribly bad. The pressure was so big in my brain. My vision started to close in on the sides. Then we went to Notting Hill tube station. I stepped on the platform and the curtain fell. I was blind. I couldn't see. Oh, my word. So what do you do? I, I sat there. Well, I stood there like a like a perplexed, confused right. like guy. What am I going to do? I don't know what to do here. 
And my vision came back about three to five minutes later. And so I went and picked up my stuff from my friend in Notting Hill, went back to Amy the next day. They ran the test and thought it was ready to go again. They sent me home. On the way out, they told me I could always get my eyes checked in an optometrist. An optometrist is kind of odd, I thought. But, you know, the next day they had to go back with a vengeance. And I found myself in Mr. Patel's chair. He was midway through the routine exam when he stops the exam. Excuse himself from the room and he comes back a few minutes later with a sealed envelope. He tells me I need to go directly to Moorfield's hospital, which I did. Well, Carol, I'll be honest with you. Tell a lie. I stopped at home first to grab a Jack Reacher book by the child, phone charger and a bite to eat. Then I made my way to Moorfield's hospital. They ran the same test there that they had at the optometrist. Then I slid me up to Charing Cross Hospital. It turns out I had a dangerous building pressure in my brain caused from a non-cancerous system I had. Turns out I required emergency brain surgery tomorrow. At what point did fear enter in? When you when you were first went blind at that moment, and how long did that last? And then what did you have to cope with emotionally? Well, yeah, when I was on the platform in Notting Hill and I was blind, I was like, there's something really wrong here. This is not good. And I was determined to get to the bottom of it. That's why I went to Amy the next day. That's when fear crept in, thinking this is something that's a bit more serious than maybe I think it is. And, you know, the prognosis of, of, of vertigo is not, you know, I didn't believe that was the case or the problem. So I was determined to get to the bottom of it and chase it down with the optometrist. So fear crept in there. But when they told me I was going for brain surgery, I, uh, like, look, I was I was terrified. I called my brother, though, and he told me, like, damn, when you talked to me, you were very chill about the whole thing. I remember him being at a spa with uh, with someone at the time. And he's been like, yeah, I'm going to go in for brain surgery tomorrow, just so you know. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, you were super chill about the whole thing. I'm like, well, yeah, I didn't want to. Uh-huh. Were you? And I didn't want my last memory to be of, of you know, brain surgery could be curtains for you, right? Uh-huh. I don't want my last memory to be of uh, a whimpering brother. I want someone to be with a uh-huh. charm, a cheek, a bit of class, like. But I was terrified, Carol. Like, I didn't know what was going to go on here. Brain surgery is not like a casual surgery. This is like they're opening up my head and like going in there, mucking around for some stuff. And, you know, little did I know that this would result in a brain hemorrhage. And I was in a coma for four weeks, right? Wow. The last text message I sent my mom before she went on the airplane and I went to emergency brain surgery was, I'll see you soon, mom. I think I'll have a new haircut next time I see you. <laughs> Just to kind of showcase the cheap uh-huh, uh-huh. I got, but like my poor mom was flying into London. She didn't know that I had a coma on the operating table. My dad had to call her when she landed to tell her before she got to the hospital. And things went sideways off the hop. And, you know, they told my parents, you know, I may not make this. Like it was very dire, very bleak, very, very dark. But it was a hemorrhage, though. There was, did they find the cause other than. The, the brain bleed? Yeah, well, they wanted to remove that cyst that was causing the pressure to build up in my pineal gland, and it blew up. Or exploded, or I don't know. They think they couldn't find it, so they think that that's what happened. But I was put into a medically induced coma, and I didn't want to come out of that for a little while, so that's why it was four weeks. Huh. And uh, it was, you know, things were sideways off the hop, and it was a real dire situation. And you know, these ice blankets above below to keep my core temperature down, Carol. Slid to violent wow. triggering for about a week. My parents said it's a little watch. Hooked up to 13 tubes and hoses to monitor various things and give me medicine. Alarms constantly went off as blood pressure spiked or heart rate too high. 
I was in critical condition. My parents were told I may not make it. So my poor mom lands and finds, you know, I'm in, I'm in the deep end here uh-huh. and she's just scrambling to get her head above water and, and try to triage this. And it was chaos. It was zero to 60 in a matter of like a day. I was healthy, active guy one day. The next day I was in a coma fighting for my life. So it was, it was zero to 60 in a matter of minutes, hours. Wow. You know, I woke up from that gut coma with my dad, brother and mom around the table I'm trying to talk, but I can't talk. The tracheotomy had destroyed my vocal cords. I signal my brother, go get me a pen and paper. And I kind of scribble on the pen and paper. I go, get out of here. And I show it to my brother and I go, you, make this happen. And he's like, man, what do you want me to do? Your one eye is wonky as hell. My leg had atrophied in the coma, so I couldn't use my leg. I was in a wheelchair at this stage. And I can't talk and I can't do anything. I'm hooked up to tubes and hoses. And I'm like, yeah, you're not going anywhere, bud. But I was like, my first instinct was, this looks bad. Let's get the hell out of here. Thinking Cam's going to bust me out. Mom and dad aren't going to bust me out, but Cam will bust me out. And luckily he did not because I was in the hospital for months after this. But it was it was difficult, arduous. Like, you know, getting in that wheelchair took 45 minutes, then 40 minutes, then, then 35, then 30, then 25, then 20, then 15, then 10, then 7, then 8, then 7, then 8. It was so difficult to do anything. I was able-bodied guy, really sporty, and now I was wheelchair-bound, and I couldn't do anything. It took me about a week to get my voice back. The way the nurse got me talking again was this Kiwi nurse. I'll never forget this. She took me down to the park. She kind of talked to my parents, knew what it was about, what kind of guy I was, and she goes, I'll get him talking. The nurses told my parents he may not be a talker anymore. His vocal cords are fried. She goes, I'll get him talking. She sat me in front of these kids playing football or soccer across the park, and she goes, Dan... Those kids across the park, they don't think you're good enough to talk, Dan. They don't think <laughs> you're good enough to talk. And I found out pretty quickly that's a big trigger for me, and I really uh, yelled some profanities. I'll spare you and your listeners across the field, but you know, I found out what motivates me pretty quickly, and that's proving you wrong. Right, Told right. Told not good enough is, is like a big motivator for me, and like, yeah, you tell me that, and I will bend the world to prove you I'm worthy to be here and like good enough to be here and, and speak and... You know, I found my voice, and that was a, a good lesson to learn because I used that to motivate me going forwards. Like, motivation for me comes from I'm told I'm not good enough to be here. Like, cool, I'll prove you wrong. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And it's a very toxic, hot bed of, of motivation, right? It burns hot, but it works. But once I beat you, once I prove you wrong, the motivation disappears like it was never there. Oh, interesting, gone. interesting. So I've now transitioned that motivation to now service, lending a hand. Your success is my success. Podcasts, speaking, sharing perspectives. Help me to share my perspective, learn because maybe you don't have the help I had. Like, Carol, I want to make it very clear I had a lot of help to get back from that today. A lot of help. And if you don't have that help, you're finished. But that's what kind of motivates and drives me now. While you're going through this phase, how did you handle your attitude from yeah, depression to depression. being positive? This setback took me about a month to get my head around it level and like, make peace with it and kind of come to terms like this is my reality. This is what happened. I never got negative. So I was never woes me, but I was always, Uh it took me about a month to get my head around this and make my peace with it. Right. Which I think is so key because if you allow yourself to go down that pity spiral, then the pity spiral is Uh woes me. This isn't fair, but you're right. It's not fair, but life's not fair, but it's not personal. It's not happening to Uh you. Like it's not, you're not that special. You're not that gifted. It's just happened. Like it's not, not happening against you. It's just happened, right? So, like, don't don't take right. things so personally. But if I may share a story about a perspective and walking, would that be okay with you, Carol? So, you know, I'm, I'm learning to walk. You know, I build up 
Zimmer frame, which is like a four-post walker you kind of lurch forward on. I moved up to the Ferrari, which is a four-wheeled walker in Ferrari racing red. I called my Ferrari. Then I moved up to the naked walks. Now, what's a naked walk, you may ask? I'm just walking without sport aids. I'm walking naked. But the reaction that people gave me when I told them I was going for a naked walk was quite something. So I, <laughs> I, I played it up. Then came time to walk in Tooting Broadway. So Tooting Broadway is an area. Have you been to, have you been to London, Carol? No. So Tooting Broadway is an area in South London. An area they call up and coming. Think loud sirens, drugs, gangs. It's dirty. It's hectic. And boy, is it busy. I'm walking with a cane. I'm walking with an eye patch. After four months in a wheelchair, I'm literally Bambi on ice. I turned the corner to walk on the high street of Tune Broadway for the first time. Immediately it slammed into by someone. Oh, wow. Stagger back a few feet. Someone scurries past me on the right-hand side. I thought I was done with the rats. Someone had been stabbed on the sidewalk over here. I'm thinking, this is a pretty wild place to turn a walk. <laughs> After a few days of this, I'm thinking, this is the worst place to turn a walk in the world. Can't they see I'm trying to walk here? Can't they see I'm trying here? And then one day my perspective shifted. Maybe this isn't the worst place to turn a walk in the world. Maybe this is the best. If I can walk here, I can walk anywhere. Now, Tune Broadway didn't change, right? It went from the worst to the best in my mind, and my mood reflected that. What are you looking at in your life you're convinced is the worst? Convinced is the absolute worst. Hey, maybe it is. Or maybe you can find a way to turn down the suck a little bit. Shift that perspective a little bit. Iron Mike Tyson famously said, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Huh. Now, your punch may not be a brain hemorrhage, right? That's, you know, pretty slim chance of that. Will it be a job loss, a breakup? A diagnosis for you, a loved one. You will take that punch in the mouth. How do you respond? I'm offering a compass, not a map, but a compass. It always points towards true north. Look at things like mindset, perspective, and hacks. Hacks that will allow you and your team to be better than yesterday and tomorrow. My name's Dan McQueen. And the reason why I told you that story about learning to walk in Tune Broadway is when you change the way you look at the world, the world you look at changes. You don't have brain hemorrhage to understand that. That's probably my best story about perspective shifting and how you can really address and harness your, 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 the way you view the world. Because that is as important as what happened to you. I think it's very right. important what happened to you because what happened to you wasn't fair, Carol. It wasn't personal, but it wasn't fair, but like it wasn't personal. But the way I thought about it was more important than what it was. Right. Because if Good I never point. thought, if I thought like, look, I'm, I'm dead rights here. This isn't fair. Like, I'm not wrong. Like, it's not fair that it happened to you. But guess what? You're still at square one. If you can accept it and take steps to rectify, you can adapt and resolve your issue, or at least adapt and survive with the with the hindrances you have. If you don't accept it, you can't move forward and progress your life. You're stuck in this woes me mentality of this isn't fair. And the biggest thing I want your listeners to understand is it's not fair that it happened, right? But guess what? No one's coming to save you. No one's coming down that walkway to pull you through and drag you through recovery. Like you've got to do this yourself. And, you know, I had a lot of help to do this, but that's why I'm talking now to share my perspective, to share that you can do this. The hope's there. You can do this. You can build yourself back up, but it takes work. And you got to go into this every day with, with intentionality and really focus on what, what the key, you know, what you want to take away with this and what you want to do with life. But that's a perspective shift in half for you, Carol. I went on a bit of a rant there. I apologize. Not at all. So how did that encourage or inspire others watching you? Yeah, well... Remember when friends of mine came to visit me from Vancouver and they would say, like, hey, Dan, you were so 
so lovely to see you in the hospital because you were never down about this. You were always trying hard and building up. I remember my friend Claire came to visit me from Vancouver. And she took off to Scotland for a week. And when she came back down, I was walking. When she went up, I was in a wheelchair. When she came back down, I was walking. In a simmer frame, but I was walking. I want to show her that I'm worthy of the praise she's giving me. Mm. And you're recovering so well here. Like, I want to I want to show that I'm earning this. Like, growing up, I never showed that I tried hard. Okay, Carol? I was always, you know, one of those guys that secretly tried hard, but never showed that I tried hard. One of those naturally gifted athletes or, you know, people that are good with stuff and life and but I tried hard under the covers, on the secret. Now I don't care if you see me trying hard. I will bust my tail to show that I'm working hard because I want you to know that I'm not failing because of lack of effort. I'll fail because I'm not good enough, maybe, but not for lack of effort. And that motivated me a lot to just kind of earn the praise they were giving me, to showcase I'm worthy of what they're showing me. But that work of like, and I call work chop wood, carry water. So just getting to work, like I really enjoy the grind, the monotonous task of you know building myself up inch by inch row by row and steps you take compound over days weeks months and years of work you know i'm i'm you know um eight nine years out of the brain emerge but every day i wake up with intentionality i have a routine base to kind of gear myself up for the day i wake up you know i go for try to get a sweat on every day if i can today I did not full disclosure it's raining today in vancouver i didn't feel like going out as you know in the it goes didn't feel like going for a walk this morning, but I went for a shower and in the shower cold. Gear myself up with this conversation with you today on Skype. So, you know, it's all about kind of finding out how you work and playing with the space, but it's about finding how best you relate to the world and just kind of riding that. Hope's a very interesting word because it's like, it doesn't mean you're just going to hold your breath and hope the world comes to you. It's like, right. no, no. hope for me is like, you know, you fail and you fail and you fail again, but you're going to, you know, I fall down seven times to get up eight. Like, you know, why you failed and you kind of pivot a little bit each after you go into these failures but you have to pivot and you have to keep chasing it down that's what hope is for me it's not it's not hoping that it's going to happen to you like you got to take it on like hope is not to hold your breath and pray it's like pivot and learn from your mistakes and and, and inch yourself closer to success because no doesn't mean forever it just means right now mm-hmm. which is a key lesson to take away no does not mean forever it just means right now it could be with you know, a job, the girl, the sport, the anything. It's like it's like it's not forever. It's just right now. It's a no, but that doesn't mean it's going to be a no forever. It just means you just got to pivot and improve on your lot. We made ourselves back to work after about a year of rehab, as you mentioned, two half days a week. I'm doing vocational therapy, or I'm doing all this stuff on the side, vocational therapy on the side, three half days a week, and I'm even with the two before I went to work to um to kind of showcase that I was off. Okay, and she go off on a walk. This is at uh, Saulgrave, oh, what was the name of that tube station? Goldhawk Road in West London. And one day I didn't show up the tube. She was, that's kind of odd. She called me on the cell phone, no response. She goes back to my flat on Saulgrave Road, knocks on the door, no answer. She opens the door, finds me unconscious on the floor, calls 999, ambulance comes and rushes me off to the hospital. What had happened was the chunk that my brain had blocked, leading to hydrocephalus of the brain. It's apparently very rare and happens in less than 10% of cases. I woke up in that hospital bed the next day hearing the beeping noise the heart rate monitor going up behind me. Beep, beep, beep. What happened? What happened? What happened? Mm. Well, then you had a second setback. Well, what, do you mean, what do you mean? Well, you had a blockage in the shunt. We got the blockage. And I go, well, what do you mean all my progress is washed away? Well, we got the blockage. I've been working for a year to get back to work, a year to get myself back to normal. 
I describe my recovery like a W, Carol. The first setback is the first step of the W. I kind of climb back up about halfway. And the second setback is not where the first one was, much lower. I call this the depths of the human experience, rock bottom, where your hopes and dreams are kind of snickered at. You thought you had a chance, bud. This is the darkest time for my family, the darkest time for me. I'd already done rehab, so I wasn't able to go back to in-person rehab. I did this all like a correspondence, it's not the right word, but like from a, from a phone call or from like, from okay. a distance. And the mindset I had to maintain to keep myself pure through this was so difficult. Everything was, you know, you thought you had a chance, bud, like, you know, you're making progress. You thought you, had, you could get out of here. No, we got you, bud. I got you around the angle. You're not going anywhere. And it took so much to keep my mindset pure, to keep myself going. You know, I lost all that progress that I gained, but I knew in my head that I could make those gains again because I had done them once before. So I kind of realized after about a week of being down that, you know, I know how to do this better. I can rehab better than last time. So I slowly got to right. work, clear water, and build myself back up. You know, rehab, vocational rehab, physical rehab. I could walk in this time, so it wasn't at the square one, I was I was further ahead. But the mental fortitude needed to navigate the space was, was so difficult, Carol. It was the darkest time I've been in my life, and the most difficult thing I've overcome was that second setback because rock bottom or bedrock, right? I call it bedrock because that's where I get my foundation to climb back up. And inch by inch, row by row, week by week, day by day, month by month, year by year, I've kind of incrementally ratcheted myself back up to a level where I'm happy at. And you know, I continue to climb up today. And like, it's it's just like, now it's like, what what are you gonna come up with that I don't think I can overcome? Like, I'm I'm I don't want to sound arrogant or conceited, but life's thrown so much at me that I've I've had to navigate and, and deal with in a very as it comes way. But I've I've come out with this stronger and more resilient. And more focused than ever. Like the first setback took about a week, a month. Second setback took about a week. I lost my job this past autumn, Carol, from Hootsuite. Uh, corporate restructuring, put up the wrong side of a spreadsheet. 400 people lost their job that day. I was on the wrong side of a spreadsheet. Let go. That took me an afternoon to come to terms with it. It took me more to get over it, but an afternoon to come to terms with it. And that afternoon, I bought myself a computer, which I'm calling you on today. A motivational speaker tomorrow, which, which means I need a computer today. A month, a week, an afternoon to get to acceptance. That is what hope means to me. It's getting to acceptance because you can't improve it unless you get to acceptance. Unless I accept the field, acknowledge where I'm at, I can't take steps to resolve it or improve it. I'm still in denial. This isn't fair. This shouldn't have happened to me. You're right. It shouldn't have happened uh-huh. to you. No one's coming to save you, Carol. Right. And so the faster you get to acceptance, the faster you can resolve this issue. Acceptance is like tough for people to hear because they think, well, you know, damn, that's just, that's relishing and giving up control of my situation. It's not fair. It happened. Like, you know, it's not fair. But guess what? No one's coming to save you. You've got to get yourself through this. And if you just wallow in self-pity, in six months later, you'll still be at square one. But if I can do this tomorrow, this afternoon, I can take steps to resolve my issue now and climb back up that hill. The ascent is what I'm talking about, Carol. All my talks, all my perspective is about the ascent back up. Rock bottom, no bedrock. I'm climbing back up, and I'm showing you how it's done. That's why I speak down. I kind of showcase my perspective, like let you know, hey, I know you've been hit with a few unfortunate hits and knocks, but like here's my story. Here's what I've been through. And I don't share my story to show you what I've been through. Is like look at how great I am, Carol. There may be a bit of that in my vibe. I'm not gonna lie to you. It's a bit uh, self-aggrandizing for sure, but but more so to show you what you can do, what's possible for you as a human being. Like look what I've been through. Look what I've done. You can do this too. How long ago was this? 
2014. Well, 2015 was the second setback. Oh, okay, okay. So I'm a few years out now. Uh, but Carol, I did these tests a little while ago at this brain injury or this brain clinic in Vancouver in Surrey, BC, Health Tech Connect. My dad had done a story on them a few years ago, and he connected with them at like an open house they had in Surrey for for veterans about experimental um, treatment of them after they come back to to Canada. And he's like, well, I connected with them and went in to do some tests, okay? The test, they like, they hook your head up with this cap, they put gel in the cap, and they, they give you the electrodes, and you look pretty wild. And they ask you these questions like horse, cat, dog food, lightning bolt. And they, they, they say these weird words, and they track your brain to see if they coordinate them or correlate them or like. Oh, okay. And my results came back as average, right? Average, I think. You know, I should have thought, you know, that's wonderful. Two brain juices, my results are average. That's phenomenal. Yes. But I resulted this. I read this as shockingly average. I've recovered so well. I've done so wonderfully. I would expect to do some big outliers, big ups, big downs, big gaps. But shockingly average is how I read this. But after a few days, I kind of realized, you know what? That's great, Dan, because that means I'm no smarter or better than anyone that I speak to. I'm just maybe more driven and focused. All I've done is put my toes over the nose of my board and riding this wave down, riding this wave down. And I'm very focused on what I want to do and my, my intention. And that means that you can do this too, which is pretty cool because it means that anything I speak to is like, well, guess what? You can do this too. Why can't you do this? And I know when people say, well, I've done this. Why can't you do this? There's like a bit daft and a bit frustrating here, but like, but why not? Why not? Why not? I've got a few more questions for you. And, and I know the audience is going to want to know some practical approaches in addition to what you said regarding triumphing over adversity but we're going to take a short 15 second break and when we come back we also want to talk about how this applies to other people who have suffered and how it can serve a purpose we'll be right back carol graham would like to show you the path from misery to miraculous triumph in her fast-paced memoir battered hope she relates her determination to succeed as someone who experienced one horrendous nightmare after another. Gang raped and left for dead, loss of a child, husband falsely imprisoned, and cancer. Nothing could break her tenacity or faith. No matter what you face, heartache, loss, suffering, or injustice, Carol will illustrate how she became a victor the same way you can. The secret is to never ever give up hope. Order your copy at Amazon or batteredhope.blogspot.com. Sharing with us today his story of coming back from near death, no no question there, and emergency brain surgery not just once but twice. And I appreciate the details that he has given us and I hope that it has been an encouragement to anyone who is going through some really uh, severe adversities in their life whether it's been in the past and they're still dealing with it or possibly something they're going through right now so I'm going to ask you and I know you want the audience is anxious to hear as well how did your suffering serve a purpose because one thing you made exquisitely clear is that you did not have a pity party and that's crucial, and I know in your healing process. So start with that, please. How did your suffering serve a purpose for you? And what are some of the approaches that anybody can take to triumph over 
adversity happening, blindsided or any other way? I think the mindset is the most important thing I can share with the group today. And that's one that I use in my keynote is it's not what happens to you, but how you respond to it that matters. It's not what happens to you, but how you respond to it that matters. That's Epictetus, Stoic philosopher. And I believe that with my whole heart is like, look, it's not well, do you think you can? Do you think you can't? You're both right, right? It's like if you if you allow yourself to go down the pity spiral, you're finished. I don't know if you can pull out from the pity spiral because I never allow myself to go down that. Here, I'll full disclosure. So I can't really speak to like how you can if you go down that pity spiral. I felt down for you know a little while, not depressed, I wouldn't say, but I was I was down for sure. But I quickly pulled out of that spiral and made sure that I did not speak poorly about this issue. And you want some time to vent for sure, but like. I don't think you can allow yourself to go down that spiral too far because I don't know if you can pull yourself back up. But the mindset of this is so key. It's not what happens to you, but how you respond to the matters. The odds of you being alive in the first place, there's a stat that I heard a little while ago. The odds of you being born are 400 trillion to one. 400 trillion to one. I had to look how many zeros that is. That's a lot of zeros. Which means you're more likely to win the lottery like a million times than you don't have a life in the first place. Let's say we're all playing around like a hand of cards or Say playing poker, let's say. You know, there's a whole bunch of people around the table, but very few people got cards. And you're giving a set of cards, lucky you, you think. But this card is in your hand. Brain hemorrhage, boom, coma, boom. Learn to walk, talk, and smile again, boom. Am I going to muck the whole hand because I don't like the card? No, I'm going to play the hand. You know, that 7-3 offsuit or whatever is not the best hand to play, but you're going to play it. Because you get the chance to play, and not everyone does. I think the big thing here is like life happens for you, not to you. Um, gratitude is something I really feel with now. And I really relish those those days where, you know, I get to do this. Not I have to do this, but I get to do this. I wake up with intention and vigor in my step. Like I'm excited for the day. I'm excited for the conversation we're going to have today with you on the podcast. Every day I wake up with intentionality and I'm, I'm kind of going after the day because I'm chasing down my dream now, the speaker. That's like something I'm, you know, I'm a new speaker. I've been doing it professionally for a year, but I've been speaking for about five years for my rehab group. The talk I give now, Carol, a bit off piece here, but the talk I give now is about, you see, it was born of a talk I give to outpatients, right? How they can come back from the nerfed up world of, of rehab to the real world. How they can prioritize and identify life and go after the things that are important. Lessons I can share that I learned through my experience through touching the stove and noble taught to failing, to failing, to falling down seven times to get an obey. Like I have failed so many times now, stuff that I thought was, you know, lessons I learned back in the day, but I've, I don't remember those lessons. So I fail again now and it's very, very frustrating. Um, but I think really just that mindset of it's not what happens to you, but how you respond to the matters. If you can get that in your mindset from this conversation, you're in a good way. You can't allow yourself to go dark, can't allow yourself to go negative, but keep that mindset pure, Carol. All right, so I got a number of hacks that I share with, with the outpatients and stuff that I've kind of learned through trial and error. Um, so for instance, I've got one called icebreakers, okay? It's a hack I shared for the outpatients. So with the brain injury, I should level seven and tell you that, that my battery is about 75% of where it was before. Fatigue is a real thing, and it's fatigue is like molasses. It slows you down. You can't think. You can't talk. You can't interact. You're not pleasant. When it hits, it's just like you can't do anything. You can't fight through it. You fall asleep. You just you just crumble and fail. So icebreakers are a way for me to 
save my bandwidth in a busy city like London. So the circuses, Piccadilly Circus, Oxford Circus are just that, a bloody circus. You want to find an icebreaker, someone to walk behind and allow them to break the ice for you. Let them deal with the oncoming strife and traffic. Icebreakers allow you to save the battery. I also did something called Bet on the Ponies. So the tubes I get on London, right? And I'd get on the tube with my friend Manal and, you know, I'd be super obnoxious. And we'd go, yeah, yeah. Got a couple of ponies over here, Manal. And I'd stand in front of people I think would be getting off at the stops that had bass in their tire. So if I can sit down on the tube, I can save a lot of bandwidth. I can save the battery and I can save my, my, my role here. Momentum is something I want to talk about as well. And i got two types of momentum. The first is building blocks. And that's just simply stacking stuff on top of each other. When you come from work, throw a load of laundry in, get the dinner going, keep it spinning, keep the wheel spinning. To get it started from a dead stop is so difficult, but if you keep it spinning, it's not that bad. Um, and the second type is, is Swallowed Hairy Frog momentum, and that's one that's got a bit of a story behind it. So Swallowed Hairy Frog, I used to swim every morning, Monday morning for work. Um, I'd wake up at 5 o'clock, go for a swim, swim some lengths, and then I go to work. I was taking the lift down one day with my HR manager. And she goes, Dan, what's all these bags for? And I go, well, I, I went for a swim this morning before work. She goes, oh, you swallowed the hairy frog. And I go, pardon me? She goes, you swallowed the hairy frog. And I go, that's, that's not a thing. <laughs> so, hair, so hair the dog, swallow the frog. You know, if you had to do a difficult task, you first thing in the morning, swallow the frog. Hair the dog is, you know, if you're drinking after a bender. I'm not sure that relates, but it's neither here nor there. She said it is her expression, not mine. So I... Did a bit of research. I was making a mug for a friend of mine back in Vancouver with my podcast. And she knew about this. So I built her mug as well that said, Swallow the Hairy Frog. And there's a picture of it with a frog with a hairy back and he's combing his back. Just to remind her how much smack she talked. But Swallow the Hairy Frog is to remind you, do the most difficult task first. Jump into the deep end and just attack the first task first. And that's helpful to navigate this space. Um, but I hope to use hacks to kind of allow me to make life a bit lighter and more fun. Gamification is one they use a lot as well. Just making life about a game. Like my podcast is called Play Loose Like Tight, Carol. It's on a bit of a pause right now. Say that. Say that again. The name. It's called Play Loose Look Tight. Documenting the process of life after. Now, what does that mean, Carol? That's a great question. Play Loose Look Tight is a life mantra in four words. Play Loose. Play is the first word on intention. By intention. Life's about play, about lightness, about fun. I'm having fun here. Play Loose. I want to live my life. I want to be a bit sporadic, a bit spontaneous, a bit fun, but I also want to look tight with intention, with time, with demeanor, with dress, with how I show up for work and business, with relationships and friends. So play loose, look tight, document the post of life after. So you make it by this book, Gamification, it's a lot easier. So on this podcast a little while ago, Carol, a gaming podcast, which is not my, you know, I'm not a big gamer to be honest. The last game I really played was like Nintendo 64, which is back in the day. <laughs> Mario Kart, right? So that was my game that I related to. Well, talk about a game that you can relate to. I'm like, well, Mario Kart 64, that's great. Talk about that. So I talk about this in, in terms of like how I gamify my life based on Mario Kart 64. Let's say that your life is, you know, a race and you've got six laps to do this race, whatever. First lap, you crash in this obstacle on turn two on the left-hand side. Second lap, you crash in the obstacle again. You know the obstacle's there, you go to avoid this obstacle. The third lap, you hit it again. Hey man, you know the obstacle's there, drive around the obstacle. Life's the same way, like you know the stuff's gonna be there to, to like come in there and hit those corners. Like avoid the stuff that you can. 
but make it a game, make it fun. Naked walks, the Ferrari, um, all this stuff's about me having fun, gamifying life. Life's about play. Alan Watts is huge here. But life about play is a lot more fun, a lot more joyous, and a lot more meaningful for me. So, like, that's kind of how I view this and, and approach life. And the perspective is maybe a bit, I don't want to say naive and a bit rose-colored glasses, but, like, I don't know, that's how I live life. And I'm not going to change that based on how you think I should view life. Like, I've been through this, and this is how I've gotten through this, by holding on to this mindset of play and, and fun and joy. So, like, I'm not going to change it now because you don't think this is how I should be approaching life. Like, Tell me how I should navigate this. Like, tell me how I can recover and rehab better than I have now. Please tell me. Like, it's just like, I've, I've been faced with this, like, what was almost certain, not almost not certain death, but like, the prognosis was not looking good, Carol. My parents told me I made it. I was holding on to the wall for dear life. Like, dear life, and I didn't think I'd make it out of this space. And I held on. I wasn't going to let go. I was not going to let go. I was going to hold on. If they're going to take me, they're going to have to come claim me, but I'm not letting go of the wall. And eventually that wall leveled out and it was even. And now I'm standing up on my feet and I'm navigating this. Huh. It can be really dark for you in times. And like life gets real dark at times, right? Real dark and real, you're not sure there's a way through. But it's all about taking the next step. I had eye surgery in the left eye uh, maybe six months ago. And you're not going to have our camera on now, but I turned my head a lot to the right to look through my right eye because I don't trust the left eye. It flutters a little bit. My dad goes, well, Dan, you were going to have an eye surgery in the left eye. It was my third surgery. First one on the left, I had two on the right that went really well. Made the right eye a lot more manageable and navigable. The left eye changed everything. And I stabbed her off a quick, no, it's changed everything. But upon further reflection, I thought, you know what? I don't regret having it because I was taking the next step. I'm reminded by a book... Uh, the Fox, the Horse, the Boy, and the Mole, which I just watched the, the video on Apple TV. was pretty good. But a boy's walking through a thick wood, and he yells back at a horse. He goes, I can't see a way through. And the horse goes, well, can you see the next step? And the boy says, yes. The horse says, well, then just take that. Right. Just Excellent. Take that. And I'm just taking that next step. Like, it's not... I don't have all the information available, but I'm taking the next step that's available to me. Like, I wouldn't want to try and resolve this eye issue, issue if I can. But right now, it's buggered everything up, and it's set me back dramatically. But, like, you know what? I'm taking the next step, and I can't ever uh-huh. Uh-huh. settle for what I think is okay. Like, I want to always chase what could be. And I'm not going to settle for, like, I guess this is good enough, because good enough ain't ain't nothing for me, Carol. Like, I want – I'm still chasing what's possible, what's capable of. But this eye is harder than all hell to look straight and like and view the world because I'm really drawn to turn my head to the right or left. Just to my right eye. But like it's it's take the next step. And that's what I want to instill with your audience is just take the next step. It can't always be the whole way through, but you can see the next step and that's all you have to take. That is excellent advice. And I sincerely appreciate what you are sh- shared with the audience. Is there anything else, Dan, that you would like to share? Yeah, I'm on the speaking circuit now. I've been speaking now for about a year professionally. About six years, you know, before that. Uh, but, yeah, taking bookings down on the website, mcqueendan.com. And, you know, trying to get on as many podcasts as I can and chase up this, uh, chase down this dream and just kind of share perspective. Rock bottom, no bedrock. I'm building myself back yeah. up and turning the way forward. Like, it's like, it's, 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 there's a way through this, but you got to go through it. You can't go uh-huh, around. Uh-huh. And that's the lesson I want to give you the audience is like, the way out is through, not around, but through the stuff. And it looks dark, it looks impossible, but you can make it through this. But you got to go step by step, inch by inch, by row, row by row. 
That's that's my final thought, there, Carol. Absolutely, that is excellent way to summarize and it puts everything into perspective of what you have shared because you lived it and you are living it and you can share it and so I thank you for that I thank you for encouraging my audience I thank you very much and we will definitely connect with you on your website and your podcast which tell us the name again play loose look tight documenting the process of life after on Spotify or all the major platforms good Excellent. Thank you again, and we appreciate you being on Never Ever Give Up Hope. Thank you, Carol. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope, featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.